Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to a special edition of Popcorn and Compliance. While we typically look at the movies over this short podcast series, Megan Doherty, co-founder of One Stone Creative, and myself will take a look at The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. While not technically a movie, it's streaming on the Disney platform, so that's close enough. Over the series, we will take a look at the storylines, some of the cookies and other cool things. We'll describe the great action scenes from each um, episode, and then we'll take a look at issues raised by each episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. We will take things from the societal angle, from the social justice angle, from the MCU angle, and perhaps even from the compliance angle. But if you're an MCU fan or you're a compliance fan, I know you will enjoy In this episode, Megan and I look at the first three episodes of Loki, which is currently streaming on the Disney platform. This podcast is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with Megan Doherty. And we are back for another series on popcorn and compliance. And this time we're going to talk about Loki. Uh, This will be the first of three episodes that we're going to take out today and then we're going to be doing this weekly so megan welcome back to popcorn and compliance always a pleasure i'm so happy to be here and more knowledge about the marvel cinematic universe and perhaps a few other topics so we're going to hit it off with episode one glorious purpose in this episode loki is arrested by the time variance authority when he creates a new timeline after escaping from the battle of new york with the tesseract in 2012 the TVA resets the timeline, and this variant Loki stands trial in front of Judge Ravona Renslayer for crimes against the sacred timeline. Loki blames the situation on the Avengers, who had traveled back in time into 2012, but Renslayer says their actions were meant to happen, unlike Loki's escape. Agent Mobius M. Mobius <laughs> takes Loki to the Time Theater to review his past misdeeds and question his history of hurting people. He reveals that Loki, in his intended future, inadvertently causes the death of his adoptive mother, Frigga. And Loki attempts to escape, but gives up after realizing the TVA's power exceeds that of the Infinity Stones. He returns to the Time Theater and watches more future events, including his own death at the hands of Thanos. He then agrees to help Mobius hunt another Loki variant who has killed several TVA agents and stolen their time-setting recharge or charges, rather. So, Megan, a lot to digest in this mm-hmm. first episode. Uh, what did uh, were some of the cookies that you saw that intrigued you? Uh, well, first of all, I was, I was really happy with the way they dealt with the time travel logic. Um, so I've been kind of wondering how they were going to frame the new Loki story in the context of, you know, the, the rest of the, the Avengers movies that kind of rounded out. Um, and so I thought it was really clever that they, they used that escape moment, um, but then brought in this whole new organization that I don't think we've seen before in the MCU, the TVA, um, which I'm sure we'll be getting into a lot more. Um, the other one that really got me was just what a delight to see Owen Wilson in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> what a treat that is. He was my favorite actor when I was a child, to the amusement of my parents. So it took me a little while to sort of orient myself to what was going on here and began to see the, the sketches of what they were doing. Mm-hmm. But I, ha- I have to start with Mobius. 
and this is far too long ago to have hit your radar. <laughs> in the 1960s, there were two model makers. And uh, the first one was um, Parker. And the second was called Mobius. And when I say model makers, I mean model makers of monsters. Frankenstein, oh. Mummy, Dracula. And so when I heard Mobius, I immediately thought <laughs> uh, model maker. Uh, I'm sorry, it wasn't Parker. It was Ravel. Uh, but Mobius was number two. And so I had all the Mobius monster models. And in my adult childhood, I rebought all of those <laughs> monster model kits. And I'm rebuilding them. So uh, as, as my sister said, are you going to hang them from your ceiling again? Uh, but we haven't gotten that far yet. Well, I mean, that uh, kind of makes sense just given the, the glorious um, 60s, 70s aesthetic of the entire Time Authority. How Fabulous, is it? All the wonderful analog technology and the colors. Oh, it was great. Uh, I really liked the little cartoon <laughs> character. Uh, that was a directly out of uh, my high school <laughs> and junior high education. Um, but a couple of other things, uh, that, that was actually Miss Minutes. So uh, Miss Minutes was very cool. Um, uh, which Agatha made an appearance? And she makes an appearance yes. through something called the nexus of all realities and the nexus being. The nexus of all realities is a unified continuum of the timeline. And a nexus being is very special and very rare. You can travel between all of these timelines and not be a variant. So I thought that was a really interesting and obscure reference to uh, which Agatha. And, of course, um, that comes from WandaVision. But yes, the radness and coolness of the 60s aesthetics. Uh, I can't tell you how many office buildings I went into with my father or grandfather. It looked uh, just like that. Um, so we're going to get to some gender fluidity uh, in a later episode. But did you see that uh, in episode one? Um, I wish that I could claim I'd actually picked it out myself, but I was reading an article and someone pointed out that in the kind of the file on uh, Loki Lofi son that uh, Mobius was reading under sex, it said fluid on the paperwork. Uh -huh. um, so when I read that, I went back and I watched it and I did see it and it made me very happy. <laughs> it's finally canon. <laughs> I think it's an three where uh, he actually talks about that. So we're going to explore that in oh, a little will. greater detail, perhaps in, in episode three. But um, so Maybe there were some there's some questions, and I, I think we have to start with where you started. I think was which was the timeline, mm -hmm. and how they were able to uh, use this timeline and this story um, around Loki. And did we always know there were different Lokis, or is it this show that um, Loki variants? I guess is the right term, or is this show which told us that? Because we have, obviously, Lokis from the Thor movies. We have Lokis from the Avengers movies. And we now have a, a, yet a different Loki. And as we go through these episodes, we have other variations of Loki and, indeed, a female Loki that we're going to talk about. But uh, is, is the, does the timeline not only give the directors a way to help us understand why Loki either didn't die or came back, from his apparent death uh, at the hands of Thanos? Um, or does it give us a mechanism to explore the various characters of Loki, the facets of Loki, 
how he became, he was bad, he became good, then became bad, and now it's fluid. So what do you think about, uh, or, or, or is it all of the above? I think it's, I think it's a lot of the above because I mean the moment that kind of Loki's escape happened was back in in 2012 The Avengers. Um, he hadn't had all of that wonderful character development that made him so much more of a sympathetic person, kind of by his death at the hands of Thanos. So we've got kind of the the wants to be a god king Loki um, now starring in his own series and being confronted with all of these other versions of himself uh, through the variants. Um, so I think I think it, it's being set up to be really a mirror for self reflection. Um, and I mean, doing that for a god that is a shapeshifter is probably appropriate. Um, but I, I feel like this is kind of newly introduced in this series because I, I we may learn that they, they might uh, retcon and how could they, they just retcon everything? Uh, uh, the way he's behaved at different times by saying, oh, no, it was a variant. Um, but I think it, it kind of gives them a blank slate for the character to have a whole new arc of development in terms of is he going to become sympathetic? I think so. Um but the ways they want to do that and the relationships he's going to have with both the external world, the time authority, and then basically himself in the form of other variants. When I first was introduced to Loki, I guess in Thor, the first mm-hmm. Thor movie, uh, Loki to me is the trickster. Uh, he's mm-hmm. the god in uh, Norse mythology. He's the trickster in American Indian mythology. There's always a trickster, sometimes a wolf, sometimes a fox, mm-hmm. um, never a bear. And uh, uh, so I always thought of Loki as the trickster. In this movie, he seemed to be almost introduced as a fraudster because he hurt people. Mm-hmm. And a trickster typically doesn't hurt people intentionally, although they often do just by the way they, they act and, and caring only about themselves. Um, but I saw a little bit darker Loki in this one. Did, did that resonate with you in any way? Or do you have you always seen Loki as darker? Not so much darker as operating on a different morality. Than I would be. So the the nearest equivalent. I mean, a god would have no necessary, like no real sympathy for a human any more than you and I might have for ants, right? Like there there'd be no logic to that. It, it reminds me of, um, you know, kind of like Irish stories of uh, fairies who will do things that are absolutely abominable to humans, and they're just like it's fine and fairy. Like this is what we do. This is just how it is. It's fine. You're just a little mortal. Don't worry about it. Um, and I kind of always saw it in the same light. Um, but I, I agree that they are trying to make him like that whole arc towards confess whether or not you like or don't like hurting people. Um, that that was a kind of tender moment, and I think you just kind of show that he does have empathy. Maybe from spending all his time hanging so out with humans. <laughs> yeah, you can't take me down the rabbit trail of fairies because I've been, been in love with Tinkerbell all my life. So we just we're gonna have to stop that okay. discussion now. Um, but uh, well, let's now move to the timekeepers, the time variance authority. Um, I saw a lot of Star Trek TNG in that. And it, perhaps it's a ubiquitous or universal story. But where did you sort of what did you think about the timekeepers? Are they these immortal gods? Is it just an AI up there? Did Skynet become self-aware? Uh, or is there, Something else going on. I went right to Doctor Who. Um, and it was the Time Lords and it was Gallifrey. And um, I mean, that as we'll talk about in upcoming episodes, like they lean on Doctor Who really hard. <laughs> but um, uh, kind of with the, the underlying authority, um, I definitely did see a comparison to Star Trek, the TNG, like all of the, the temporal authority in 
Star Trek are just like, you know, they're hilariously dry people who care only about paperwork. Um, and I thought there was a lot of that. Um, and I kind of like that as a motif for all of time travel authority in any fictional universe is like, no, the people who are in charge of time travel paperwork are really boring and they don't like you. And I thought that was great. What were you, what were your thoughts on it? Very buttoned up and a very stickler. I thought of the Star Trek TNG movie, um, the second movie, First Contact, where at the end, one of those extremely buttoned up uh, temporal police shows up and worries about the violation of the prime temporal directive, which was the first time we heard about that in Star Trek. It's not just a prime directive, but a prime temporal directive. And uh, I've always been fascinated with movies where, you know, there's a loop back that you meet your younger self or you meet your grandfather mm-hmm. or, you know, you meet your father. And what happens if your father, you know, Marty McFly dies? Uh, so that that's always been interesting. But the the I guess I was focused really on the keepers, not the mm-hmm. um, Minutemen that we saw who are buttoned up, Mobius M. Mobius uh, being a great example but um, who are the timekeepers? Are they beings? Are they gods? Is it an AI? Is it a something? Um, I assume we'll know. But um, so I, w- I was really trying to think through who who could be so powerful that they could kind of outperform Loki and create a structure that could keep him in check. Did you, did you think anything about the timekeepers? Well, I get one of my first questions was. Um, do they still exist? Because all, all this kind of setup of the, the rigid rules, the many departments, no actual input from the timekeepers, just the stories and the honor and the myth and all of the the legend. That's like when you know it's the, the puppet, uh, the the puppet gods. Uh, so they are now just a symbol, and there's someone else in charge pulling the strings. Um, that was one of my my theories. Um, otherwise, I mean, in the universe we're dealing with, are um, master of time, space lizards, that strange. Maybe not. They, that could, could be real, but are they good is the next question. If they do exist, are they, are they good? Are they well-intentioned? So one of the infinity stones is time. How do the timekeepers kind of overrule the infinity stones if the infinity stones are the greatest power in the universe? I was really, I think it's episode two that we really have to confront the infinity stones mm-hmm. But uh, but some of the guys use them as paperweights. <laughs> you raised a really good question about my actually my favorite character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that's Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. And um, so, why don't you give us the the setup for your setup and how you think uh, Doctor Strange may actually play into all of this? Was starting to think about when they were um, doing that wonderful um, 1960s style educational video about um, the war between all the various universes in the multiverse and how it was uh, the heroic timekeepers who created the one timeline. But if the Minutemen um, do not do a good job at enforcing the dictates of uh, the timekeepers, then a new series of multiverses will be created. They might go back to war and universe as we know it will end. Um, I I'm pretty sure that there's a movie coming up called Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, <laughs> uh, which indicates uh, to me that you know, maybe this whole series, when th- maybe they're not going to solve the big problem that's being set up right now, 
uh, and there is going to be another multiverse and Doctor Strange is going to have to fix it, is one possibility. The other, just to your point about the Infinity Stones, is we learned in Infinity War that it, or it was implied in Infinity War that it was a time stone that causes a variant like that. You kind of have to have a time stone to have enough power to get off this main timeline. Um, and Doctor Strange is in possession of a time stone, or at least was, uh, before the Multiverse of Madness. Um, and maybe that's what's causing all of it. Maybe the timekeepers uh, have this place where the time, the Infinity Stones can't do anything, but when they're out in the real world or back in history or in the future, maybe they don't have as much influence. Do you think the Infinity War scene with Doctor Strange, where he went through all 14,000 possibilities <laughs> of what could happen and was able to calculate that there was a possibility or a way for them all to survive through one out of 14,000 uh, really presaged what we're going through on this uh, show in terms of the multiple timelines, or is that something completely different? It very much could be. I was thinking more about uh, when Professor Hulk was uh, going to fetch the time stone uh, from the, the teacher. Uh, yes. Name? Yes, her. Uh, and she gave that wonderful demonstration of the timeline. Uh, and and then the branch off happening. Um, and I assume her knowledge would have become Dr. Strange's knowledge. Well, it seems like we have a lot uh, to look forward to in our episode two. So uh, we're going to take a short break here. But Megan, uh, I'm greatly looking forward to seeing where we come up with for episode two. It has been a very strong start to a new series. Before we get to episode two, we're going to take a short break and we will be right back. Uh, now we're going to take up episode two, Variant. In this episode, Loki joins the TVA mission to a site of an attack by the Variant in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. But it derails it by stalling and attempting to bargain his way into meeting the timekeepers who created the TVA in the sacred timeline. Renslayer objects to his involvement, but Mobius convinces her to give Loki another chance. After researching TVA files, Loki theorizes that the variant is hiding near apoplectic or ap apopolic events throughout the timeline where the variant's actions do not affect the timeline. Loki and Mobius confirm the possibility by visiting Pompeii in 79 AD before deducing that the variant is hiding during a hurricane in 2050 Alabama. Lucky them. Loki, <laughs> Mobius, and the TVA agents are ambushed there by the variant who possesses the bodies of several locals and TVA agent Hunter B-15. The variant reveals herself to be a female incarnation of Loki, confusing us even more, but rejects his offer to overthrow the timekeepers together. She sends the stolen activated reset charges to various points along the sacred timeline. The charges activate, creating numerous new branches, branch timelines, and throwing the TVA into disarray. She teleports away, and Loki follows her. So more, more uh, Megan, that's the outline. Mm -hmm. What cool stuff or cookies did you see in all of that? I was just having it like a, a, a moment of, of extreme joy watching at different points and together, both Mobius and Loki being complete and utter nerds. They may act all cool. They may have magic powers and great technology, but they're just really excited about research and accurate depictions of how magic works. 
and it, it was just so great when they were looking, trying to deter, prove the theory about whether or not it was apocalyptic events that were causing this. And um, they said, okay, we've got to find all of the world ending events between this date and this date. How many are there? I don't know, but we're going to find out with paperwork. It, it was so good. It was so charming. And on a, a, so, a much, uh, go ahead. What else? I was going to say, um, um, I loved when they did get to Alabama uh, where this hur- hurricane was happening. Um, and it, Felt like I, was, I felt like I was watching Twister again, when you've got this wonderful big screen full of a nice happy view, and then this monster or the storm comes and eats it from behind. Uh, there's a lot of great 90s references here. Storm part, the hurricane mm-hmm. part. It turned out for about 100 years uh, of apop- apocalyptic events in Loki were all climate disasters. And I thought that was very interesting that good point. the uh, directors or the screenwriters realized uh, that that will be the next series of da- disasters. And I say that as we're at the end of a pandemic. Um, the and the middle of a drought. Pandemic, <laughs> yeah, in over 100, uh, 100 years. So um, people need to, to wake up. Uh, <laughs> climate change is real. And look what will happen to you in the future. Um, the other thing was, uh, and, and American, the TVA... <laughs> Uh, police are called Minutemen, and that comes straight out of American history, and uh, that's a, a nice nod to um, a part of our history that most of us agree with that was a good thing right now, um, and coming up on July 4th, but a <laughs> uh, nice nod to, to Minutemen in New England who uh, helped us fight uh, the British, but there, there was so lots of questions that came up. And I guess we have to start with a lady Loki. Does it work? Um, Should it work? Is is her personality really so close to Loki that we could call her a lady Loki? Where do we even start? Uh, unmitigated delight <laughs> is where I'm starting with this one. <laughs> um, yeah, no. If if the variant is a Loki, which has kind of been established, I guess by by Mobius and is trying to you know, talk Renslayer into letting him have this madcap buddy adventure with, with Loki, God of Mischief. Um, I, I think it's perfectly appropriate that it's, it's Lady Loki. I mean, uh, going back, looking at, you know, um, Norse mythology, um, there's a really strong precedence for, for gender shifting, uh, gender fluidity, if you will, um, among this particular God. Um, and if there are variants that change time, why, why couldn't one of those variances be what gender you happen to be born as? So did that give us a way to maybe explore some parts of Loki that we hadn't character uh, character of uh, either uh, development on Loki we hadn't focused in on? Or I guess the, when she was first introduced, I found her to be rather inflexible, uh, very mission focused, uh, not a lot of humor, didn't wasn't the trickster that our Loki is and, or perhaps wasn't even a fraudster. Um, nevertheless, she, she was very focused on what she was trying to do, which I think is destroy the, uh, the time Lords or the timekeepers rather. Um, she later softened, but, uh, is, did you really see the Loki that we know in her or was, had she evolved uh, in a different direction? I think she should involved in a slightly different direction. Um, but I felt like, uh, and I think part of this is getting into what we, we learn a little bit in, in an upcoming episode. Um, but they did understand each other really quickly. 
Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of, of, you know, relationship building that needed to happen between the two of them. And, and the actress who was playing her um, had, a, a, I think, a really similar delivery style um, to, to Tom Hiddleston, which I thought was a really good choice, uh, whether that was like by nature or by design. And I, I guess it kind of does bring up nature or nurture. What did the different experiences that each of these two Lokis have had uh, mean for how they interact and engage with the world? <laughs> She's been working on getting rid of these timekeepers for quite a long time. So... <laughs> Yes, and and that's a great point because it really came through in I think episode three. But I almost saw inflexibility in her that she she had a plan. It was a very thought out plan. It was a very long term plan. But I didn't see her and they uh, with the ability of our Loki to really go with the moment and and mm-hmm. be able to adapt and overcome in the way I've seen him in the Thor movies, the Avenger movies or any of the other movies, she she certainly had a, a well-thought-out plan. She was executing, but I just I found it to be inflexible. Mm-hmm. I can see that, definitely. Yeah, and I guess we'll have to see how she, she grows a little more. I mean, maybe the inflexibility is partly becoming, you know, just from having to now deal with, effectively, herself, which was probably never in the cards. And given that it is um, a Loki and a Loki variant, I'm sure quite irritating for both of them. Well, it's clearly quite irritating to her. Uh, <laughs> I think our Loki, he's he's able to adapt uh, fairly quickly. But you you raised one point a little bit earlier that I wanted to pick up on. Mm-hmm. When the show opened, uh, this episode opened rather, it seemed that we've evolved into the staple of all great Hollywood fiction, the cop show. <laughs> but then it even evolved further into the buddy cop show. And you can have a funny buddy cop show. You can have uh, uh, a very serious buddy cop show. You can uh, have one cop who is a little off his rocker. Um, you can have just any any number of variations. Uh, but then when Lady Loki came in, uh, I guess I felt like if I did see a buddy cop show that perhaps – the Lady Loki part was going to uh, kind of overwhelm that. Did you have that sense of this cop show framework or this buddy cop show framework at all? Oh, I did. And, and they, I think, went even harder on to Doctor Who um, this time. I would have happily watched an entire series that was Loki and Mobius bopping around time, trying, like trying to solve mysteries. I think that would have been charming. Um, but I think with, with kind of the switch where Loki made the decision to go with um, uh, Sylvie, rather than stay with Mobius. Um, he was making the change from a buddy cop to not quite like the parent trap, but this is going to be much more of a self-reflective, uh, introspective story. Um, and I think it raises a big question about who the enemy, who's the big bad going to be, who is the ultimate protagonist of this, um, and then who's the who's the villain? Well, and that really leads to one of the points I think that you really hit on is you know, who's the big bad guy going to be? Um, is it going to be uh, the timekeepers? Is there a puppet master? Is there a Thanos out there? Um, I haven't really seen any hint of another power, but we certainly have seen hints that perhaps the original timekeepers are no longer there. And mm-hmm. that, that there is someone else either running the puppets, oiling the machine, or doing something. Now, at the Ren Fair, at the very beginning of this episode, I thought I spied Catherine Hahn. So maybe which Agatha is in this? Wow. <laughs> wow. I have to watch again to verify, but it really looked like her in that Ren Fair at the beginning. Was she in the 
you know, they came through the portal and they were not in a booth, but in a, a partially covered uh, display. Um, was she in that or was I, she one of the people walking around the, the Rinsen, or Rinfin? Uh, I, I, I think she, she was, I could, she was next to the sign about the miniature pony. I've been going to Renaissance Festival since I was a teenager. Darn right. They started in Texas, of all places, uh, in the 60s. And so I found that to be extraordinarily cool that they would come out in that. And uh, uh, first of all, it didn't blend in, but then they became part of the exhibit. <laughs> so uh, I really like cool. that touch. I don't know who came up with that one. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that was very cool. And then um, – the other thing was when they had the not final confrontation, but the confrontation inside the uh, electronics store in Alabama, mm-hmm. uh, that was also very retro uh, in terms of the uh, products they were selling. But I was a little confused about the minds of those people she had taken over and mm-hmm. how she was able to control them. And I don't want to say I felt like they were zombies, but the way their faces changed um, and then uh, the way they kind of collapsed and died, I, I was wondering if we are actually going into yet another genre. Entirely possible. That, that kind of um, magic mechanic really reminded me of the, the Scarlet Witch powers to kind of alter what was happening in the brain and alter the thinking process. And um, I think it was in this episode, didn't we see um, – no, perhaps it wasn't, but the, the impact seems to be really serious. Like there seems to be a really, the brain does not like to be controlled thusly. Um, so it just to be a very unkind right. thing to do. Okay. Well, Megan, we're near the end of this episode, but uh, we're going to take a short break. And for our listeners, come back and join us for episode three. Episode Thank three. you. Hello, everyone. We're back again for episode three, Lamentus. In this episode, Loki follows the variant who goes by Sylvie to the TVA. Sylvie attempts to visit the timekeepers while Loki tries to apprehend her. Brinslayer attacks both of them, so Loki uses a temp pad to, to heliport himself and Sylvie away. They arrive in 2017, Lamentus 1, a moon that is soon to be crushed by the planet Lamentus. Love that name. But both cannot escape due to the Tempad having run out of power. They agree to work together because Loki has magically hidden the Tempad while only Sylvie knows how to recharge it. They sneak aboard a train, a lot to say about that train, uh, <laughs> which is bound for the Ark, an evacuation spaceship. Not a lot of symbolism there. <laughs> Intending to use the Ark to recharge the Tempad. However, on the train, Loki gets drunk causing the guards to discover them. And during the fight, Loki is literally thrown off the train. Sylvie follow him, follows him. Loki shows that the Tim pad is now broken. So the two of them change their plan and attend, intend to commandeer the Ark. During their journey on foot, Sylvie says that TVA workers are all variants. And frankly, I'm still thinking about that. <laughs> um, rather than creation of the timekeepers as Mobius claimed. Loki and Sylvie fight their way through the guards while trying to board the Ark, but the Ark is destroyed, leaving a meteor, leaving them stranded, and and leaving them with our first real cliffhanger of this episode. 
So, Megan, uh, what cookies or other cool stuff did you see? Um, well, one of them I know we're going to be getting into uh, uh, very shortly with the, the confirmation of, yep, Loki dates lots of different kinds of people. Um, but before we get there, um, when he was on the train getting drunk, um, did he not remind you of early Thor? with the drinking and the singing and the smashing of the glass and asking for another. Um, it, it really made me think that after kind of the rush of the last couple of episodes, he's really starting to mourn a whole bunch of different things. And he, I think he's feeling really lonely for his goofy big brother, uh, or little brother, whichever. Um, but, you know, he's in this situation where no matter what he does, you know, he's either going to die in the future that he's supposed to be in, or he's never going to get back to the future that he's supposed to be in. His relationship with all of these people are over. And I think he's just really sad about that and is not admitting it even to himself. So, uh, first of all, the train, uh, it was almost to me, art deco Yes. and the design of the outside of the train. And when they got in the interior, um, that seemed to me to actually come out of, Indiana Jones 2 when he was in uh, Shanghai and the nightclub scene. Uh, very Art Deco. Uh, uh, you know, all they needed were uh, a tux and a long dress for Sylvie, and I think it would have just really touched it off. But uh, did you see any Indiana Jones in that? Um, I did, and it's uh, it's been far too long since um, I've, I've seen that movie. Especially in my notes, I just wrote – that train is like in uh, Indiana Jones, right? Ask Tom. So <laughs> I figured you would have the response to that one. Um, it also reminded me a little bit of Snowpiercer um, with the train um, either as or on the way to the Ark and the the decorations and the just general feeling of hopelessness. <laughs> in uh, this episode, we have specific confirmation by Loki himself on orientation. and <laughs> But I the question I wanted to pose to you is – did he really identify an orientation? Is he fluid? Is he gay? Is he bi? Is is there something else going on here that we perhaps haven't considered yet? I mean, by by strictly what was in the the show and what was presented, I'd say probably gender fluid and bisexual. Um, but I mean, the answer can probably be yes to all of above, maybe pansexual, um, uh, just being into everything. Uh, Yay for some representation after a lot of movies. <laughs> so I think in answer to your question, yeah. yes. <laughs> you know, I thought at first I thought uh, I, I kind of had the, the feel, same thing I did in the latest Star Trek where um, Ensign Sulu was explicitly presented as gay as a homage to George Takai who played the character mm. in the 60s when he was not gay. Um, and so, and I tried to think back to movies where Loki's been in, and I really didn't see any hint of that in the movies. But then I reflected on perhaps the underlying name and theme of Loki, which is the trickster. And in North mythology, the trickster can morph. And so if he can morph in shape... Why can't he morph in orientation? Well, absolutely. Why not? I mean, he's he's, he's the mother of a six-legged horse. The more I thought about it, the more more I found him consistent with that trickster personality. That uh, it really uh, he can be what he wants to be, but he can also be what suits him in the moment. 
And sometimes he may want to be that way, and sometimes it may suit him to be that way. But the other way, the other thing, the presentation that struck me, Megan, was that there was no presentation. It was just mm-hmm. here. And I want to say it was a throwaway line, but it was just in conversation, no big deal, just a discussion. And, oh, yeah. yeah. Just, can, can I have the salt, please? <laughs> and that's such a nice way to see it dealt with. Um, it really, cause it doesn't have to be a huge, big yeah. thing, you know, especially anymore. And I think, you know, looking at his history within the movies and the, the MCU, um, I don't think he's ever had a real love interest of any kind. Um, and, you know, trying to imagine him with someone, I can right. see him taking pleasure in just about anyone, but really, truly, he mostly loves himself. And that's, <laughs> he's a Loki sexual <laughs> and everything else has got a surface level, but maybe that's going to change. Or maybe, maybe now that he has met himself in another gender, they're going to have some great times. I really like the way Sylvia evolved from episode two to three. And in, yeah. in our discussion of episode two, I really expressed how I thought she was too rigid. She was too inflexible, certainly focused on the mission. But I, I saw her maybe not soften here but evolve a little bit and to recognize that there were til- uh, skills and talents Loki had that she did not have, or at least didn't have access to. And that perhaps at least for this one time, they could, they could coexist together. But I saw some, if not growth evolution in her, did you see anything like that or was it there I, all along? I, I feel like there was, there was a lot more vulnerability here and we definitely got a lot more information. Um, right. And it was really, I think they really got into uh, the differences that upbringing and the difference that, um, in particular, Frigga had had on Loki's development as a person. Because in Sylvie's version, Frigga died when she was very young. Uh, and so she didn't have that nurturing um, influence in her life. She had to be self-taught. And, you know, I don't think Odin ever won any Dad of the Year contests. Um, so without that kind of balance, um, it's not surprising she would have grown up to, you know, be less happy, less jokey, more inflexible. She probably had to. Um, I thought it was lovely that they were able to talk about it so much. Uh, we saw Loki do something we have not ever seen him do before. Right. And there was a wall about to collapse on them. And through telekinetic power, he protected he and Sylvie. Uh, so query, why hadn't he done that before? Uh, to does the force live within Loki? Um, is this consistent with the variant that we're seeing now, not the Loki of uh, the Marvel movies who perhaps didn't have this power, but this one does. And Oris is being around Sylvie, this timeline or this travel, somehow opening him up or his mind up to new possibilities that he hadn't considered. Ooh, I like that last idea. Um, Cause yeah, I, I had no idea why that was able to happen when it really seemed like it hadn't happened before. Um, but I think the, that idea of, you know, them being together, um, you know, kind of combining, um, metaphorically their powers or, or functionally their powers uh, and trying things that you hadn't before. I think, I think that's a really plausible explanation for why that was able to happen. I mean, I guess they're not strong enough well, to move to the moon, but maybe one day, maybe one day uh, if they get through, <laughs> which presumably they will. Cause there's several more episodes coming. But. And then, and then, and this one, like I said, I'm still thinking about this. Yeah. In a, almost a throwaway line, I think Sylvie says all Minutemen were variants. And I really have been thinking about that because did they hire a thief to catch a thief? The thieves know how to catch other thieves. 
is this the case of, you know, hell hath no fury like a fallen Catholic? Uh, <laughs> see it, you know, uh, fallen Catholics make the best witch hunters. Um, or the variants were, are the only people who have really the, uh, who, who have kind of outgrown or, or expanded upon what their, their stake in life was or their lot in life actually be the thought police equivalent and that they, they have to have a variant because only the variants uh, can think outside what they've been programmed to think uh, by the timekeepers. So really any thoughts on the variants being becoming the Minutemen? Yeah, it, it's, it's very dark. Um, it really, <clears throat> it really makes the, the, Temporal authority, and I, I know it's the TVA, but now all I can think is the Star Trek Templar, tempor, temporal authority. Um, but what a what a what a bargain to have to make, you know, be snuffed from existence as as a fully sentient person, even if another one of you still exists, or have your memory wiped and basically become a servant wiping out other humans. Uh, it's it's a dark idea, but also a great recruitment method. Um, if uh, these variances keep happening, I guess they they need more people. Some probably get zapped by their their melting sticks. So they need a replacement strategy. Um, but then it also made me think that Mobius was probably from the '90s, based on how much he loved jet skis and the idea thereof. Well, then yeah. then we'd feel right at home with Mobius. Yeah. So we've now gone through three episodes. We're going to try to keep up with this on a weekly basis, but mm-hmm. sort of after. After the first three, any any thoughts, uh, kind of excited, uh, anything that uh, is a little bit different than you expected, or were you open to really whichever way they wanted to take us? I, I was pretty open to what was going to happen. I didn't have a lot of, of expectations going in. Um, I think they're going to, in probably starting the next episode or maybe the one after, but really let us know who the big bad is. Um, I think we don't know yet, uh, unless there's going to be a twist with a character we've already met. Um, but I think... I think one of the big struggles that's going to be coming up is going to be between Loki um, and choosing between Mobius or Sylvie. Uh, and I think that's that's going to be a major source of conflict. Well, what are your predictions before we, we sign up for the next one? Well, I'm like you. I really uh, uh, I've learned not to have any expectations, but I guess <laughs> I, I felt like, particularly after uh, the Winter Soldier and the Falcon, that they were so grounded in the comic book storylines and that it was, it was so linear that we really could trace not only where it was going, but many ways where it was going to go, that this is, is very different than that. Mm -hmm. And we don't know. I mean, each of the Lokis we've seen in the movies now may be a different variant. Um, And yeah. Uh, So kind of that, that timeline thing is still blowing me away. But um, I'm interested to see how Loki develops because mm-hmm. he is, if, I guess, evolved. I'm not even sure that captures it, but he changes sort of from movie to movie and sometimes, you know, within the movie so much. Uh, his love-hate relationship with Thor, with his mother, with Odin, and why he feels like he was betrayed by Odin. I'm sure we're going to see that come up at some point. We have to. Um, So uh, I'm just going to kind of be along for the ride, I think. Yeah, and and it uh, it is a ride. (laughs) Yeah. 
Well, look, Megan, this has been great. Great to catch up and mm-hmm. uh, greatly looking forward to uh, seeing where Loki takes us. Absolutely. Until next time. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Popcorn and Compliance. Megan and I will be reviewing each episode of Loki going forward. So I hope you will join us again for this special episode. If you love the Marvel Cinematic Universe as much as Megan and I do, I know you will enjoy this exploration of Loki going forward. I also hope you will listen to the newest podcast on the Compliance Podcast Network from the Editor's Desk, where I visit with Dave LaFort each month about some of the key stories that have appeared in Compliance Week and will appear, and Dave and I save the world, particularly around the area of sports. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.